just want to give you where we're going to go. The series that we're working on is called Lessons in the Desert. And uh, how did I get there? There we go. Okay. And last week we talked about the tapestry of sovereignty. All we were saying last week is that we're going to go through Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Exodus is the backdrop of that or the tapestry of that. We'll be in uh, Exodus again this morning. But uh, where we'll be going is this morning is on adjustment. Next week is on holiness. Uh, That'll be the book of Leviticus. Then timing. And then cravings, grumblings, and complainings. Right? That's another culture's problem. We won't have that problem. And then uh, authority. And then the cost of sin. Palm Sunday will be on endurance and what they learned in the desert. Good Friday will be the bronze serpent. If you've not read that story lately, we'll be doing object lesson and all that on Good Friday service and encourage you to come for that. And then uh, on Resurrection Sunday, one like Moses that would be raised up. And we'll be talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So encourage you. I hope that's uh, entertaining or exciting for you and that um, if you have friends who are asking questions, you can know what the outlay is and invite them during it. Let's do a brief review off of last week. We said that last week God uses the desert for primarily two things. Number one, to humble us. We've talked about desert experiences, uh, dark night of the soul, those times when God seems far away and he isn't speaking. He uses it to humble us. And the second thing that God uses is to reveal what's in our hearts. Now, that's good if our hearts are good. But as we'll see today, if our hearts are bad, that's, that's a bad spot to be in. And so we'll look at that. And then we also said last week that uh, Israel's salvation experience led them directly to the desert. Okay? So sometimes we have, like for example, the junior high this week will be at the retreat. They'll have what we call a mountaintop experience. Invariably followed by that comes the down of the week after a retreat like that and you find yourself in the desert. And that is true for us as adults as well is that sometimes God can do something and in the midst of that then we find ourselves in the desert. So this morning we'll start, if you have your Bibles, take them, open them up to the book of Exodus. We'll be jumping around in several places together. But this is from Exodus 15, and it reads like this. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, and therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Now, it's really hard on a Sunday morning when we are sitting here to kind of connect to this experience. Uh, First of all, we should recognize the name Mara because we just came through the book of Ruth. And remember, Naomi went to uh, Moab and lost her husband and her sons and came back and they welcomed Naomi back. She said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And so uh, what we find is they have been on a three-day expedition away from the Red Sea, away from everything they've known, and they come to this place where uh, it's called Mara. And connecting that to the topic and three days. I don't know if you've ever been in the desert, but three days, three grueling days in a hot wasteland. I mean, we're talking men, 
women, children, elderly, crippled, sick, herds, flocks, the whole entourage is, is going together. And the promise that they were following was the promise of a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And as they go through the desert, day one's manageable, day two is miserable, day three is desperate. If you've ever been in that kind of weather, it does not take long to dry out. And the drive and the craving for thirst, to quench your thirst, becomes all-consuming. They were glad there was a promised land, but right now what they needed was water. They were literally dying of thirst. Now, here's the thing. One can endure hardship if one knows there is a reward at the end of the trail. Right? If, if you are... going after something and you know there's going to be relief at the end of it, you know what to look forward to, right? And so that's what they were looking forward to. And to go through this and then realize when you get there that the water's undrinkable, right? Ultimate despondency (coughs) for them. What do you do? Uh, have you ever experienced being in a place where God has led you to and it looks like a dead end? Or a death sentence? Where you brought me here for this? What? This? You've got to be kidding me. Right? Now, it's one thing to say it here in the Northwest. It's another thing to say it in 108 degree heat in the temperature of the desert for three days. This, this is three days into the new beginning, right? Think about that. Three days. This is the whole new journey after the Red Sea. They're three days into the promises and the new, the new beginning. And it's looking pretty tragic at this point. And remember, this is not a small group. This is a, a lot of people. And the question would, I'm sure, pop in their mind, should we go back? Well, at this point, that's not even an option. It took you three days with everything you had just to get there. Going, going back isn't going to work. There's, there's nothing to do. There's no more bandwidth. You've expended everything just to get there. Literally, we're dead. You brought us this far to kill us. And you can feel the anxiety. You can feel, if you read those texts carefully and slowly, you can feel the tension building. And the attitude is, well, if we're going to die, let's stone the leader before we do. Right? At least we'll get something out of this. It's an incredibly intense situation. Now, fortunately, there's a good ending to it. It says, when he, he is Moses, cried out to the Lord. Uh, he's in desperation, desperate straits as well. It says, when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, this is a pretty amazing story. All right? You're in the desert. There's a log laying there. You, waters are bitter. You can't drink them. You throw the log in the water. The waters become sweet like they're good to drink. That's pretty trippy. All right? There's a 60s word for you. Right? And what God was trying to demonstrate to them in the midst of this crisis was His supernatural provision, His supernatural power. His supernatural wisdom, that he knew things that they didn't know. 
that he had things planned or in place that they couldn't account for, that he didn't bring them that far to kill them. He brought them that far to bring and give them life, to take care of them. And, and he was trying to underline that he would take care of them. And the question on the table then would be, would they trust him? Were they going to trust him in this? And another uh, thoughtful question that comes up at this point is, okay, so what's changed? Right? We, we have Israel in Egypt, 10 plagues. They trusted in Cape Cross. What's the difference between Israel in Egypt and Israel now here in the desert? Think context. What, what's um, so different? There was nothing for them to fall back on. When they were in Israel, yes, there were the ten plagues and stuff, but they, they still had the river, they still had the grass, they still had their cows, they still had their sheep, they had all the water they wanted. So yeah, it was going bad, but we, we know what to fall back on. When you pull out of that context and move, you no longer have the things that you thought you could fall back on. Now the only thing you have to fall back on is what? God. Have you ever been in a place where this stuff's been stripped and all you have left to count on is God? If you have, then you understand that experience that they're feeling right now. There was nothing for them to fall back to except for God, and God knew that. That was the point of the test. Is all you've got is me, are you going to trust me? Unfortunately, they didn't respond too well. It says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And God was saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore you from the things. And this, by the way, plays into big time what we're going to cover next week. Um, that God was going to do. But what was the purpose of the testing? It was to see if they would follow him. And here's the key. Would they follow him and continue to trust his lead through trying and difficult circumstances? It's not too hard um, to trust God when things are going good. It's much more difficult to trust God when things are difficult. Right? Right? Anybody in this room ever been in some difficult spots? Okay, Then you know what I'm talking about. You have been there. And the question is how to react. Uh, this was not an easy three days and it was just the beginning. Little did they know, but because of their choices in sin and failing to trust him, they would have 40 years to go. Can you imagine if they had told them, hey, by the way, I know this three days has been tough, but you've got 40 years left. How do you think they would have reacted? How do you react when God says, oh, by the way, this isn't going away next week. This might be the rest of your life that you have to adjust to this. Do we usually adjust to that very well? Let's be careful we don't look at Israel and go, idiots, foolish people, we would have never done that. Be careful, right? We tend to react the same way. To follow Jesus, here's the suggestion this morning, to follow Jesus, you have to adjust. You find that all over in Scripture. You have to adjust. It's not always the same old, same old. This is 
true for us as well. We will follow, will we follow through on the hard times? Will we continue to trust Jesus in the midst of, in the face of difficulties? Now, in asking those questions, set those questions in mind. What was it they actually had to adjust to? Let's take a look at what they, uh, what was different for them. I call this the fine art of adjustment. All right. First of all, they had to adjust to lifestyle. They went from slaves to sojourners. Think about the difference to that, right? Uh, although you're slaves, it's pretty predictable. You know what your routine is going to be. You probably even know how many times you're going to get whipped that week. But you know, and it's, it, it's predictable. Sojourners, uh, nothing's really predictable because you're out there in a place where you've never been before. Uh, they go from stationary to mobile, right? And they go from dominated to independent. So massive lifestyle changes for them. Uh, culture, we're going to see in the, in the messages coming up, new laws were right around the corner. Uh, the, the, right around the corner, the next stories coming up are Sinai and God giving the law. And, and so uh, they have that um, in place. Different behaviors. God wanted them to be a holy people, different than the cultures around them. Also, they had to learn to fight. God had to train them for war. They were not good at it. They didn't know how to do it. And part of being in the wilderness, part of being in the desert, was being tested and learning to fight. They also had to have a different mindset of coming from slaves to a nation. So the whole culture of their thing was being shaped and changed as they left. A third thing they had to adjust to, timing. Timing was radically different. We'll look, we're going to actually... Uh, take a message on this and spend time on it because I think it's such a critical issue. Uh, fourth one, food. They no longer had the food they were accustomed to. They no longer had uh, the fish and the leeks and the onions. They now had uh, food more appropriate in the desert. And particularly they had this food called manna, okay? which they started out as a supernatural provision. And later they go, all we have is this yucky stuff to eat. That's English Mitchell's translation of what they were saying. All right? They were tired of eating the same kind of food. They also had to adjust to government. They went from Pharaoh to Moses. And so, uh, and then Moses instituted uh, a, a, a type of government for them to adjust to and broke it down into thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. And they, they had to develop a government structure that they never had before. And they also had to adjust to the terrain. The terrain was radically different. When you look at Lower Egypt, it's a pretty lush place. When you get out into the Sinai Desert, um, it is one of the most inhospitable deserts in the world. And most of us, when we think of the desert, think of how hot it is, which is appropriate because during the day it gets boiling hot. But one of the things we forget about that makes the desert really hard and inhospitable is how cold it gets at night. The temperatures can plummet and drop below freezing and you can die from cold as fast as you can die from heat. So imagine going from 108 degrees and 12 hours later, it's 25 degrees. And they were marching through that, that type of train and so their train was, was different. Hot during the day, cold at night. Here's the other thing. They didn't know the way. Okay? This wasn't like 
all right, we, here's that marker. We know what that marker is. We're, you ever gone hiking in the Northwest? We just went with the Fallons. We went to Twin Falls. Great. If you've never been there, up by 90. Gorgeous, gorgeous deal. But it's always amazing to me how going in, if I've never been to some place, it seems so long. It takes so long to get there. Wow, is it around? No, more hill, another hill? Seriously? I mean, can't they just put it on a movie screen in the parking lot and that's, we're good, you know? Abby has to remind me, no, Dad, that's why they call it hiking. Okay, super. But ever notice going in, but then when you come out, it seems so much quicker because you know the mile markers along the way and you can measure your time coming out. And so you actually make better time coming out, usually because it's mostly downhill, than going in. All right? They are going into a desert. They have never been there before. Moses has been there before. But they as a nation have never been before. Can you imagine as they looked and they saw in the shimmering heat waves and they saw this little hill and thought, oh, if we just make that hill, we'll see what's on the other side. And they get to that hill and like we made it. What's on the And they look and 10 miles away, there's another little shimmering hill. It builds on you. They didn't have reference points. And they needed to be guided. Now, the New Testament has an equivalent picture of this for us found in Galatians 5. I put it up on the screen for you. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Do we know the terrain and do we know the path that God's taking on us? Do we, have you, were you able to chart your last 30 years? How many of you wound up where you thought you were going to be 30 years ago? Right? God takes us on radical. We're going this way. Hey, never thought I'd end up there. And the other thing is we need to be led. Just like they need to be led, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit as well. Because why? We don't know the way either. That's why we call it a walk of faith. And we can also get in deep trouble if we race ahead or leg behind the lead of the Holy Spirit. If we get out of step, then the danger is becoming conceited. And you can see this playing out in the Exodus passage. I know better than God and my read is better than God's. And as a matter of fact, my read's better than your read also. Done following this. This is stupid. We're going back. Right? When this sets in, then it says... In this passage here, we begin to provoke each other. Uh, the picture there is of pricking somebody's spirit, like taking a stick and picking at them. We provoke each other. And Israel began to provoke Moses in the wilderness. Right? He was tangible. They could see him. He's the one that started this whole snafu. And so he was in line with their direct ire. Look at Exodus 17. We'll go on a little farther. So they go on. They move. The, the water turns sweet. Yay! Happy end of the story. They go on to Elam. If you follow the chapters there, if you're looking in your Bible, they go to Elam. There's 12 springs of water. There's 70 palm trees. Shade. Hey, this is looking great. And then it says they came to Rephidim. When I got to Rephidim, it says the congregation of people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink, and therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Now, a couple things to notice. 
So they, they go to Mara, water turns sweet. They go to Elam, water palm trees. Now they're back to Rephidim. What is this? What do we call this and realize? This is round two. Did you learn the lesson? Did you get it the first time? No? Okay. Here's second chance. Notice in the text here, that is not a question. Give us water to drink. That is not a question. That is a statement. That is a demand. They're no longer asking. How can, how can you tell? Look at how they speak. Now, would it have been, think about this, is it wrong for them to ask for water? If you're in a desert, it, would it be wrong to beseech God for water? No. Would it have been offensive to God if they, as an entire nation, got on their knees and sought their leaders and prayed that God would bring them water? No, that would be totally appropriate. It's not, the, it's the, the issue is how they're asking. Because they're not asking, they're demanding. And that tells you that it's tipped for them again. Remember the reason that God led them into the desert in the first place was to what? Humble them. And secondly, to what? Reveal what was in their heart. There's very little humility in this tone. Can you get that? You don't pick that up very much. Under pressure, under pressure circumstances, they, like us, often find it hard to operate in the spirit because the flesh takes over. And here we find that they are not adjusting well. Moses said to him, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. What's going on here? It wasn't the circumstances that were creating the response. Often we point to circumstances and say, Well, they made me react that way. Because of what they did, that's why I reacted that way. If they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have reacted that way. And what God's trying to tell us something here in the story of Israel is that's not true. The circumstances merely revealed what was in their hearts already. The, the pressure flushed it out. Jesus addresses this in the Gospel of Mark. There was a debate over the disciples why they didn't wash their hands like the Pharisees did. And, and Jesus uh, tells this story in Mark chapter 7. He says, And he called the people to them and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that's going... Go, I'm sorry. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within 
and they defile a person. Galatians 5 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, notice the same list. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. What do we call fits of anger in a two-year-old? Temper tantrum. Do adults ever throw a temper tantrum? I have a right to. You made me throw that fit. That's what we say. What we don't realize is we're actually being exposed in the spirit because the circumstances didn't. We used it as an excuse to expose or reveal what was already in our hearts. And Paul warns, he says, I warned you before those such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This sets up a, a profound question for us this morning. We're watching Israel and we're watching Israel get squeezed. Right? In a pretty severe way. And we're watching the reaction rupture out. The question this morning is, what happens when we get squeezed? What happens when I get squeezed? What happens when you get squeezed? What comes out? Usually what comes out is what's in there. You know what most of us have a fear of? Let me give you a fear most of us have. You know what most of us have a fear of? Nursing homes. You know why? Because we're afraid that when we lose our well-developed deflection systems that we've had all our life and we uh, lose our skill and our ability and we lose our faculties, that what's been in there will actually come out. And we've been to nursing homes and we've heard people yelling and cussing and cursing and mad and ornery and went, they were believers. What happened? God has always been about changing the heart, not the circumstances. And this is something that God is trying to drill home for Israel. And remember, these lessons were written for us so that we will learn God's much more interested in changing the heart than he is the circumstances. Most of the time, our prayer is to change the circumstances. God says, let me start with your heart. And then we get mad at him. And we want to stone him too. What comes out of my mouth when I feel threatened? By the way, if you want any encouragement, I fail on this too. All right, just so you know. Okay? As I was going through this, I went, I had the Lord vividly replay several scenarios in my mind and went, I'm dead meat. Okay? So just if you're feeling alone out there, don't feel alone. All right? What comes out of my mouth when I feel threatened or pressed or tested in a way I don't like? I think it's important we ponder that for a second. Now, here's the thing. In this passage here, they are one step short of accusing God. They don't get there this time. They aim it at Moses because he's an easier target. But later on, we'll see they actually aim it at God as well. But they're accusing him of his character and they're accusing him of his intention. And they're deeply forgetting What are they forgetting? They're not only forgetting what God has done for them, but they're forgetting what? What Moses has done for them. That's all thrown under the bus due to the current circumstance. What he's done for them in the past doesn't mean squat. It means nothing. Now, it gets thrown under the bus. So here's where this story goes then. As they're trying to adjust, 
Massa and Meribah, the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, if you know this story well, there's other places it talks about it. Uh, Everybody loses at this point. Uh, Israel loses. Uh, Moses loses because he got provoked and irked and he let the pressure get to him. And he struck the rock twice instead of once. And not treating the Lord as holy. We're going to talk about holiness next week. It should be fun. Come join us. Um, and he, he, as a result, he didn't get to go into the promised land. What's God saying? This is a really important issue. And Hebrews comments on this uh, directly. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says this, Therefore the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, how about if you hear the Holy Spirit talking to you, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, and here's God's assessment from his side of it. As he looks at these stories, he said, they always go astray in their heart. He said they weren't willing to follow. They have not known my ways and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Now, these stories were recorded, written for our strengthening and our edification. We get to see their dirty laundry, so to speak, so that we would not create the same mistakes. And most of the time, these same mistakes don't occur out in the public forum uh, neighborhood out there. They occur in the interpersonal realm. This is where we tend to blow it. It's with each other, in our marriages, with our children, with our friends, in church, those kind of places. That's where this gets set up. And we are encouraged strongly that not sin like they did. What was the sin? God's evaluation was they kept going astray in their hearts. They wouldn't follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the rock that followed them was Christ. And it was Christ that gave them the living water. So the exact same experience. What's he saying? We are to avoid a hard and angry heart. Uh, Many of us have uh, gone to a chiropractor, right? For chiropractic adjustment and that kind of stuff. Get all the kinks out and that kind of deal. And the reason we do that is because either our neck or our back, something's out of line. It's just not working the way it's supposed to. And so when we go to a chiropractor, he kind of pop and pull and, you know, you hear things crunch and do weird sounds that things aren't supposed to make. And all of a sudden you go, ah, right? And we say, well, we're back in alignment, right? Well, here we're talking about uh, scripture is calling for not a chiropractor, but a heart adjustment. Our heart's out of sync. It's not in line with God. And to let the Holy Spirit massage our hearts so that it creaks and pops and gets back into alignment. 
so that our heart is lined up back with the Lord. And that's an adjustment that's made on a daily basis. That's not an adjustment you do once every year, but daily we are to seek the Lord and make our heart go right. And I want to suggest this morning, it's a very important point from God's perspective. It really irks Him when we go our own way. It really irks Him when we throw it in His face. It really irks Him when we call His motives into account. The living God of the universe and say, I don't think your heart's right towards me. I've done that. Right? Just so you know. I have done that. And it rattles me to realize I've done that. Does it rattle you? Let's pray. Lord, as we ponder this, I don't know what the effect is. I don't know what you've been saying to people as we've talked. But I know it's important. I know it's something that as we talk next week about holiness, it runs right smack into that. And so in the places where you're speaking to us and if someone has a heart or angry heart this morning, Lord, that you would unpack that for them, would uh, the, the thought be that they would cooperate with you and let you unpack it. Lord, you may have been trying and we may have been uncooperative. We seek you for that, Lord. We know our hearts are capable of very nasty things towards each other, towards, towards those we love. And we know that is heartbreaking to you, heart-wrenching to you. Lord, make us greater than what we are. Wash us, cleanse us by your Spirit. May we learn from the mistakes of others and not repeat history. We ask this in your name. Amen.